Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day, I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah. I'm getting it every day, these niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not well, welcome guys. Uh, we are on episode, I don't know what episode is this, 73? Um, 73 or 74. Yeah, man, we're just cranking them out. Uh, done. We've got Sam and Jake today. Should uh, have a fun, hopefully informative podcast for you. We'll see. Uh, but today we're going to talk, at least what I want to talk about in part, uh, and something Jake and I have been mulling over recently. One is the affordability uh, of houses with rates moving up and the um, potential pocket of um, air pocket of demand. So potentially a loss of demand um, in the market. It's what a lot of people have been posturing around talking about how we've seen this massive run up in the price of real estate and we might see this air pocket of demand this um cratering of demand over the next 12 months so that's something we're going to get into uh, then we're also going to talk a little bit about how institutions have come into the market and bought up a ton of the housing supply so um, how does that affect housing what does that look like from a wealth gap wealth disparity and then rolling over from that what i'm really wanting to get into today and um i know jake we, you and i hadn't really talked about this too much before we got on but um how that affects the broader dynamic of the wage gap and the wealth and income gap in the u.s which is something that's been talked about a lot recently and you know, if you know me, if you've listened to this podcast much, <laughs> you know I'm in finance, so it might seem a little um, silly that I'm the one proclaiming that we do have um, a big disparity and that we need to take some actionable steps uh, to close that gap. And that probably is going to come in a little bit different form than, than most people think. So I think that's really one of the most interesting um things to discuss and look at from a broader um demographic standpoint from a socioeconomic standpoint so let's just dive right into it uh jake i'll let you uh you take the lead on on this first topic here yeah absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Ooh, i'm coming out real heavy there we go all right um well i i think you i think what i and and we haven't talked about this much but um on the wage gap or the wealth gap side, I think it's it's been ignored for the most part for a while, and maybe just kind of like, oh, you know, it's it's you know, it's not that bad, or oh, it doesn't exist from super maybe far right, um, you know, conservatives, um, and I, I don't really see it as a right or left issue. It's more of a it's more of an issue that affects really everybody, and uh, and it's something that could you know topple. Um, you know, a, a country at some point, if it goes unchecked. Um, and that's, that's something I learned or read, whether it's accurate or not from, uh, Ray Dalio's book the changing world order. And that was one of the big things that he touched on was the, the huge disparity in the wealth gap. Um, so we can get in that to that towards the, towards the end, but, um, 
one thing that I, that's just a super hot topic still um, in the real estate market is interest rates. And I've seen interest rates go from probably low threes to even they're touching fives now. Um, I didn't see what it was today, but I think yesterday it was five. Um, and, you, and to be clear, you're talking about the 30-year fixed mortgage rate. Correct. Right. Yes. 30-year fixed mortgage rate. And there's a so bunch of different ones, but. Yeah. So that's that's the rate um, at which people are taking out mortgages. So you're paying a 5% interest rate over a 30-year period for whatever your mortgage is. Right. Wanted to clarify for everyone. Yep. Yep. We get we get on a roll and we're just talking in, in lingo and nobody knows what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I've had a lot of people say that. <laughs> so. Oh, by the by the way, that reminds me, I need to text your brother back. I need to text your brother back. He, he texts me, I never text, responded. Uh, he was talking about, oh, you know, it was so so much better than, and I underst I actually understood stuff. But yeah, because uh, there there was a lot of other mortgage interest rates. There was a fifteen year, and I think it was almost a full point lower. Um, yeah. it, I mean, it was like four point two five, but that's that's considerably lower for fifteen years. And I also saw all the way up to a three one arm, which is like every three years, um, the interest rate will adjust to market rates. Um, and a arm ARM just means adjustable rate mortgage. So really, it was at it was at like two point three, which is kind of crazy, but it makes sense because you know in three years it's probably not going to be two point three. It's probably going to be five or six. So. Um, there's a lot of difference there, but the majority of people that I work with, and I'm sure Sam knows, um, is the 30 year fixed rate mortgage and it's at five or even higher. So at some point, yeah, so let's get into kind of why that matters, because if you're just listening to this and you say, well, I, I don't really see that much of a difference between 3%, which is where we essentially were when we started the year, it, it dropped even lower last year, but, um, 3%, 5%, it's just 2%, right? So that means that the cost of my house is just 2% more, right? Well, no, actually it's not. <laughs> that's, that's a massive difference. Um, so moving from 3% to 5% increases the overall cost of your mortgage by almost 25%. In other words, if before you could have afforded a million-dollar house, so you're approved for a million-dollar house after down payment, right? Now, in just two months, really, you can only afford a $750,000 house. So the 25% reduction in your purchasing power, that's obviously really significant, right? When real estate is up by such a massive amount, um, it's a massive reduction in the average purchasing power. I saw a, uh, an interesting study today, uh, and this is gonna go into the wealth gap that we referenced earlier, that in 2011, the average mortgage um, was around $1,100. So adjusted across the US, right? Today, average mortgage with mortgage rates where they are, and the average home price being above $500,000 for the first time across the US is close to um, $2,230, something like something along that line. That's over a 100% increase in the cost of living 
or not just cost of living, but the cost of your mortgage payment in just 11 years. That's that's pretty insane statistic. Uh, it, it's been a really good thing for those that have assets, right? People who have mortgages, that's a great thing. It's not so good if you're trying to buy something right now. Right, it's not so right. good if you're renting because what people fail to understand a lot of times is rents are derived, um, the way that people set rents comes from replacement costs. What does that mean? So if I go and buy a property for X amount, then I need to know that I can still make a profit on that if I'm an investor, right? So if the price of the property goes up, well, then I have to charge more for rent. It's really that simple. And so ultimately higher home prices lead to higher rent prices. And that's really bad for people who don't own anything because their wages didn't necessarily go up that commensurate amount. They didn't go up at the same rate that their cost of living went up. And housing is a big part of the cost of living, big part of the CPI number, the, the consumer inflation number. So um, it will be certainly interesting to see how these higher rates affect the real estate market as a whole. I know that's what we kind of want to get into, uh, but I'm just laying out the broad spectrum of, of how it works within the system and the fact that moving from a 3% to 5% 30-year mortgage rate is actually really significant um, for the market as a whole and just for you as a person, right, <laughs> trying to take out a mortgage. Yep. Um, I've seen, and, and really what I've seen, um, and also, also what is interesting, I'll, I'll do two points here. Also, what is very interesting on the mortgage has increased 100%, but also um, if you, if you also look at it, um, I guess it's a, it's a leading indicator or it's, it's just a, it's basically the same thing just over 30 years, but most of the real estate has not I say most, a good portion of the real estate has also done the same thing over the, I guess the, the course of that 10 years. Um, so I guess in, uh, in real terms, it's, it's not. I guess the, what am I trying to say? The proportion hasn't changed, um, but the, the wages, go ahead. The proportion of what? The proportion of, so like, let's say in 2012, the mortgage was 1100 bucks, but the interest rate was seven, six or seven, right? Um, and now today it's double that, but the interest rate is three or four. Um, but the price is, is up 100%. How like what is the actual proportion of like affordability? You know, are you trying yeah, so that, to see what I mean? Actually not, I, I see what you're saying. It's not actually quite correct. Um, mortgage rates are the highest they've been since 2007. Now they are, right, right. Now they, now are. they are. So mortgage rates were lower in 2011, 2012. Then they and are so, now, right. Now mortgage rates are more expensive than they were in 2011, 2012. And the price of the homes has gone up exponentially. So yep. you have a, both a, not not just the price of homes across the U.S., but the rate at which you can finance them has gone up as well. So right. it's a double right. whammy for new buyers coming into the market because they have less purchasing power in dollar terms, and 
the cost of the underlying asset, the cost of the home has gone up as well. So it's both, it's both of them. Gotcha. Uh, now that's, it's a good thing for people that bought a home, right? Because the value of their home has gone up exponentially, especially in key, key cities or key regions. So um, all of the sunshine states, right? You got Texas, Florida, uh, Arizona, Tennessee, they've all seen a huge influx of new residents and home prices have gone up pretty exponentially. In areas, um, you know, kind of in the grain states, so Kansas, Ohio, um, you know, your Midwestern markets, they have not appreciated to the same degree. Right. Uh, right. Not nearly as much. Uh, states like Colorado, they've appreciated rapidly. You know, the real estate market in Boulder, Colorado City, Denver has all gone absolutely nuts. Um, but as a whole, across the country, the value of homes has gone up pretty exponentially compared to historical rates um, in the last few years. Yep. And I think, uh, and I, I don't, I don't believe wages have gone up a hundred percent in the last 10 years, have they? No, not, not <laughs> close. Yeah. So that's, that's the problem, you know, whenever, whenever mortgages and, and, and even rent, I'm sure goes up a hundred percent in the last 10 years. Um, and you only get a raise of 20% in that same time, you know, you're actually a, a lot poorer stack on inflation and uh you're and everything else and you're you're a lot poorer than you think yeah your, your dollar doesn't stretch as far so the the percent of your income that goes to basic necessities basic cost of living has increased so every month let's say you make ten thousand dollars right let's just use a good round number if before um cost of living made up 20% of your monthly expenditures. So let's say $2,000. Now it's closer to $3,500, right? Which is a pretty exponential move. Um, and if you're making $10,000 a month and you take out taxes for that, and you're a, you know, you're a, you're a single person, then um, single young person in particular, then you're, you know, sitting at a 37% tax rate. So really you've got $6,300 to cover that $3,500 in expenditures. And that's just on your, your core um, expenses. So that's pretty, you know, pretty uh, exponential move. One thing that we've seen, and this goes to uh, the wage gap and something that's changing now, it's something that I highlighted on Monday when we talked about uh, the markets or the economy as a whole slowing going into these next few quarters. So over the last 20 years, we saw this massive amount of offshoring of American jobs, right? It's a very political thing to talk about. Right. And right. it's really something that both sides agree on um, from a press standpoint. <laughs> and they also agree on it in a backdoor meeting standpoint. So what I mean by that is everyone talks about U.S. jobs leaving, right? It's, it is a it's a tragedy that we've seen so many jobs leave. But then in the in the back offices, they're making deals to make sure that that happens because it's highly accretive to companies. 
And the market has rewarded a lot of these companies by the market, I mean, the stock market uh, for offshoring these jobs. And what it is, is it's an arbitrage of labor. So if you have to pay someone, and this is a basic concept, everyone you know knows how this worked. Um, if you have to pay someone, you know, $15 an hour here to make widgets, or you can pay someone in Taiwan or uh, Indonesia even $2 an hour to make that same widget. Well, it's much more creative. It's much more profitable for you to send the jobs over there. The problem becomes uh, when you have supply chain issues uh, in this just-in-time delivery. So, you know, manufacturers ordering products that uh, they need only two weeks out from when they need them versus warehousing them. And you start to have supply chain issues, it creates a massive problem. And that's why supply chain has become a real trendy topic. All of a sudden, everyone's an expert in the supply chain. Right? Um, but the effect it has on us locally is that wages become depressed because there, there's too, too few jobs uh, for too many people. It, that, that dynamic is really shifting now where we're at 50-year lows in unemployment adjusted. And workers are demanding more money, right? COVID changed that paradigm. And workers just aren't willing to go to work for nothing. They wanna have good paying jobs. Uh, and they're, they're just not okay with putting up with this regime. They, they can't afford to live. And so while people who've had assets over this period, when I say have assets, that means um, they own physical assets, they own homes, they own property, they own stocks, uh, they're, they're owners of things. Those things move up in value when inflation comes in. Right. So inflation is actually really good for assets. But the problem is a lot of people don't have assets. And so now the value of their dollar has declined precipitously and they're not making much more money. So we enter into a regime uh, that Neil Howe um, and Strauss, they laid this out in a book called The Fourth Turning. So the third turning um, is whenever you start to see massive distrust in institutions. We've seen that, right? Um, it's all over the media all the time. And it's primarily the media who's distrusted. The media is a large institution. Government completely distrusted. Um, education systems distrusted. Uh, banking distrusted. Medical field, the medical field distrusted. Look at all of our institutions. They're all being attacked right now. And people have no faith in them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so those institutions start to weaken. Unfortunately, the the fourth cycle, the fourth turning is a time of crisis. So it typically is when you see war break out, you see massive civil unrest, um, you see the tearing down of institutions. And I would argue that's, it's not a fun place to be. It's not where you wanna be. Of any of the, of any of the cycles, there's four generational cycles. You don't wanna be in the fourth. The fourth is where bad stuff happens, where shit breaks. And that's where we are right now, unfortunately. Uh, it was hastened by COVID, but it, it only hastened something that was already happening. And so um, we're in a 
we're in a time that I think is probably going to be wor get worse. I don't mean to be a doom and gloom kind of person. I, I'm looking at this empirically and objectively and just saying, look, people are unhappy. They're, they're not in jobs that they feel like gives them dignity. Their wealth has accrued to in massive, massive portions to the elite of the elite, right? And I'm certainly not arguing for redistributionist uh, type of system. I don't think we just take money from the wealthy and give it to the poor. I think it's much more uh, of a systematic problem that we have to fix. But uh, we're in a place that that isn't isn't great <laughs> at the moment. Now, that was a long that was a long tangent away from um, current housing, <laughs> but. No, I think that's I think that's very very correct though. Um, and on the point of, you know, you see people that are unhappy or uh, you know they're are, are struggling. Um, it's I think I see it in in the, there's a very stark contrast between the the haves and the have nots because the haves they seem to have it all like they they have no issues like they're driving the Benzes they're driving the Rolls they're driving the the BMWs, and then the have nots. Like they're driving the piece of crap uh, Toyota from 20 years ago and the cars you can't even recognize and uh, they can't even afford to go to the gym for $10 a month. Um, it's a very, very stark contrast. Uh, and I'm starting to see it more and more. Um, and like 10 years ago or 12 years ago, let's say when I was 10, right? And somebody was making $100,000. I mean, that was a big deal, right? It was a really big deal to me. And maybe I was just 10 and I was naive, but... Um, you know, it sounded like a, a lot of money and, and it was, it was confirmed by, you know, mom, dad's like, Oh, you know, you're making six figures. You're, you're doing well. Right. And then, uh, nowadays you're making six figures, like a hundred grand. I mean, if you, if you have a, a, if you're living on a high standard, you're probably living paycheck to paycheck or, um, the taxes are hitting you so hard. You don't even know how much you're spending at the end of the day. You have nothing. Right. Yes. So um, it's definitely hard. And then I think, you know, going back to the housing, if you had a house that during that whole time, you know, that made up for it, probably, you know, your house appreciated a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars, and now you have a bunch. Right. right. Um, but, you know, it's uh, the people that don't, I mean, that house, now the house 10 years ago, that was 120. Now it's 275. Yeah. You know, um, and it's just, it's, it's really tough. Um, yeah, and I think we wanted to talk too about, um, and this, this is where I'm going to get a little controversial. Um, and I think you and I may even disagree a little bit on this. Uh, we were talking about institutions coming in and buying up houses. So institutions coming and buying massive amounts of home stock. So why don't you lay out what that picture looks like for people, um, that aren't aware, and then we'll jump off of that. So essentially, I, I saw a an article last night, I guess, and uh, and it was basically a big old fund, like a big fund of money, um, where there's a bunch of investors that just pour into it, right? Um, say there's a hundred million dollars there, right? Um, and they go they go look for single family homes, they buy the single family homes, they rent the single family homes, and then what they do is they value the single family homes at at X, X price, whatever they bought for it, $400,000. Okay. Then they will go to the market 
they will say, hey, we have 10,000 shares at $40 a piece, right? Whatever that looks like, or $4 a piece, whatever it is. Um, and they'll, they'll sell Sam 100 shares of that house, essentially, right? Because that house is appreciating, that house has rental income, um, and then it's sort of like a stock at, at, at almost, but it's a, it's a private um, offering, if you will. And uh, I'm sure some of them may be public eventually, but um, you know, this is more of a private offering and they've done that on four houses, I think by now. And it's, you basically just subscribe to it. You buy as many shares as you want until it runs out and that's it. And then in, you have a commitment of five to seven years and then uh, you get your investment back, right? Say it's a way, it is a way for the, it's kind of a double-edged sword, but it's a way for the common man to invest in real estate. Um, without having to take out a mortgage, without having to risk um, property managing, without having uh, to risk not paying, um, all of that. Uh, on the other hand, it does take away from home buyers who would like to buy homes. Um, and then if institutions can buy them up cash money, well then it's just gonna drive prices higher because you know, you're not paying three, four, 5% on the, on the cash. Um, so it is a double-edged sword, and uh, but that's essentially the the foundation of what I saw, um, and of course it was a clickbait headline. It was like Bezos-backed hedge fund buying all the single-family homes. So it was a little biased headline, but it really was just a a fund that was backed by a bunch of different investors and investment groups um, that was buying single-family homes. So I'll give it back yeah. to you. So in in that sense, I think that particular platform is probably good for the average person. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain why here in a second, but what Bezos was investing in is the actual home buying platform, not necessarily buying homes themselves. And so what the platform allows is for your average person to put in a hundred bucks, 500 bucks and be a part of buying these homes. Right. And so to your point, they don't have to be responsible for the property management. They don't take on the liability of a project going wrong like you and Chad do <laughs> on a daily basis. I know you sit there, your hair goes gray. Some days you're going to, yeah, you're, uh, you're going to be a silver, you're going to be a silver fox by the time you're 28. <laughs> <laughs> and so you don't have to do that. You just put money in the platform and you own a a share, you know, X amount of shares of this house, right? You own proportional interest. I think the bigger concern and what's got a lot of media coverage lately is that you have firms like Blackstone, which is a massive um, real estate investment company. So they raise funds from investors. The investors have to be accredited in many cases. Um, so there's certain requirements about your net worth how much you make a year. So you have to um, have a net worth over a million dollars, excluding your primary residence. So your house doesn't count towards that. And you have to make over $250,000 a year, um, which excludes a lot of your common people, right? It goes to that 1% thing. So they've been coming in the market. Now they have some public stuff as well, but um, they've been coming in the market and spending almost $2 billion, $2 billion a month in purchasing real estate. So they'll come in, not just buy single homes, they'll go and buy an entire single family portfolio. Right. So 
Um, you have companies like American Homes for Rent, AMH, which is publicly traded. Um, you have Invitation Homes, INVH, uh, and those are publicly traded companies that are real estate companies that own single family homes and run them back to people. They'll come in and just buy the entire portfolio, right? That's how much money they have to deploy because there's so much money coming into the market um, and the market's so hot. So when that happens and you have just that massive amount of new money coming into the market, they don't even need to necessarily have loans because they just have cash to come in and put on. Now, a lot of times they will, you know, have some types of lines of credit to, to buy these homes. When I say lines of credit, I don't mean like a credit card. I mean like a revolvability <laughs> of $10 billion from a large bank, right? It's a little bit different, uh, but they'll come in and just buy massive amounts of stock. Uh, when I say stock, I don't mean like shares in the stock market. I mean, home stock, the Inventory. amount of home, yeah, the amount of homes that are available for sale. They come in and buy this and what happens? Well, economics is all about price is just a relationship between supply and demand. So if there's a lot of people in the market that want to buy a home and there's not enough homes, the prices go up. If there's a lot of people who have to sell their home and there's not enough buyers, the price goes down, right? Very simple economics. You can think about it in terms of, uh, well, and you see homes being bid. You were just telling me before this, someone offered what, $37,000 over asking? <laughs> for a house that you're showing. And so that um, goes to, you know, like a bid-ask spread. And we talk about that in stocks and options a lot. So the bid-ask spread is the difference between what a, a seller is willing to sell it for, the ask, right? They're asking X amount and the buyer is willing to pay. So think of, the uh, best, I like to give this illustration. If I were to build a, 100 foot tall concrete tower in the middle of Houston on a plot, right? And I spent $10 million doing it. Well, my ask might be $20 million. And you might come in and say, it's a dumbass piece of rock that you have. <laughs> like you, you built a statue of concrete. This is idiotic. I'll give you $1,000. Well, it's pretty big, big ass spread right there. I want 20 million, you're willing to give a thousand. And so it's all about what people are willing to pay and the demand for it. Um, and that tightens that gap. And so uh, right now you have people bidding way over what the ask is to try and get it. So it's a very competitive market driven in part by these massive institutions coming in and buying up this home stock. So, um, you know, I think it is an interesting dynamic where I don't know that, you know, these firms get villainized a lot because they're the ones coming and buying up the homes and driving prices up and no one can afford it. I, I certainly see that argument. Um, and then it drives the price of everything in the market up, right? Your rent goes up. My rent went up by 50%. <laughs> <laughs> this last this last year, uh, which is just pretty incredible. But at the same time, they are providing a good product in many cases to the consumer. Not in all cases, there's bad actors. But when you have scale, you're able to do things 
uh, at a, in a more affordable way. You know, everybody, not everybody, but most people have who've rented a home have had bad or have rented several homes have had at least one bad experience with the landlord. Yeah, the landlord who will never come and change the <laughs> the AC when it needs to be fixed because it costs them too much money. Uh, the guy who's supposed to be providing yard service and doesn't do it. Uh, the person who lets you have a leak in your faucet and it goes on for a year because he's too lazy to get out there, right? Nobody wants to deal with that. And that really just doesn't happen with these large real estate investment trusts, these large companies that come in and buy it. They have to provide a good product to the consumer. They provide tech upgrades within the houses. Most of these houses are, are very energy efficient because it keeps the cost down for the landlord at the end of the day. Um, but it's also good for the person who is leasing. So there, there's pros and cons, right? As a consumer, it's a good product to have. Um, but as someone who's getting priced out of affordability, if you don't own anything right now and you're a young person, it's really hard. It sucks. <clears throat> yeah. So, and I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's cut and dry either. So like, I don't, I don't think it's like, oh, those, those, you know, it's terrible for the market and, and uh, nobody's going to be able to afford a home. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, they can't buy everything, I, I, I guess. Maybe they could. Um, but there's always going to be a house for sale that you can buy. Um, and I think what it does for, for the people who are in tune, and maybe for the people who are educated financially, and it's exactly what we're trying to do, right? This presents an opportunity to like, hey, if this is what the real estate market is going to look like, and now we have funds buying everything who aren't really restricted by two to three percent interest rates, right? You're going to see these home prices continue to climb, right? And then if 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 the if the demand changes over time, I don't know what that's going to look like. It's going to take a while, but if the demand changes from majority homeowners to now, you're looking at majority funds. I don't know. Um, if you can snag a house or um, buy a place and just hold on to it, you're gonna you're gonna really win. Um, but at the same time, it puts a lot of people out because most people just don't have any options, right? Um, but then again, on the other side of that coin, the money they do have, they could just go invest in the funds and get those returns. So I I see both sides. Um, obviously I would be a little biased towards the homeowner side because that's all I do, right? That's, I just help people buy homes. Um, but you know, I could, I could see myself having a big fund and going buying a bunch of houses too. Like I see, I mean, I see both sides and I think, I don't think it's as cut and dry as people make it out to be. I think the media just blows it up because it's cool clickbait. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you have a really good point about the like the economies of scale and like how they can do everything correctly and um, efficiently, affordably, and not you know. There's a bunch of landlords out there who just don't give a shit. They just don't like. And so when you have that and you have uh, procedures and, and systems to fix those things, it's gonna it's going to uh, increase the quality of life overall. Um, I guess in some parts, but the other, the other argument I could see is, okay, now all the assets are in, are in the, the big elites hands again. And now we have the, the, an even bigger wealth gap. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's akin to the Amazon problem. 
the Amazon problem is this. I, I uh, get in debates about this, you know, frequently. <laughs> um, someone will tell me, oh, Jeff Bezos is the devil. Amazon is a horrible company. You know, they're putting all these mom and pop places out of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? To an extent, that's true. <clears throat> the next question I always ask is, what was the last time you ordered something off of Amazon? <laughs> and normally the answer is, uh, well, you know, two or three days ago <clears throat> or last week. It's never more than a month, that's for sure. And so the, the dynamic is such that, yeah, you may, you may paint Jeff Bezos out to be a villain or Amazon's this evil company, but they still provide an incredible product and service. I can order just about anything that I could ever need on Amazon, and it's delivered to me in one to two days, sometimes same day, right? Sometimes within a few hours. Now, that's pretty incredible. It'd be really hard, really, really, and oh, and by the way, for a lot cheaper. And I can read 10,000 reviews on the product that I want to buy. So I'm probably not going to get screwed on it. And I get all kind of other stuff at a much easier and more convenient, in a much easier and more convenient way than previously. So, you know, it's a both and thing. Yes, it, it does put people out of business, but there's also hundreds of thousands, well, millions of people who sell products on Amazon. <laughs> and so it creates a whole new economy there. So, you know, I think it, it's complex and you've got, you got to be nuanced. The same thing with the housing, right? Maybe these companies, probably these companies will have a better product, meaning they're going to give you a much better experience when you rent one of their homes than someone um, that owns four homes as a, you know, as their side investment and doesn't properly take care of them. You know, the, the slumlords of this world. Yep. It, yep. It's probably going to be a bit, much better experience. And those are going to continue to grow because capital is going to accrue to things that provide good returns on their investments. That's how we always say money goes where it's treated best. So where the returns are, that's where the money is going to flow to. Right. Right. I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. But I think that we've got to be pretty nuanced in how we look at this and realize that it's not necessarily an easy problem. Um, it's both an economic and a moral issue. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I think, I think uh, for me, I don't necessarily think of it as a problem. And I think that's only because I'm educated a little bit. I think of it as opportunity because I'm just going to go by anyway, right? I'm going to go figure it out and figure out how to do it. And uh, I'm going to ride the wave regardless. I might even go, I might even go end up um, doing that, that myself right down the road. Um, but, you know, it's tough. Um, but the, at the end of the day, the market, the market will demand it or it wouldn't be there. Right. Like, I mean, if the market just didn't demand it and everybody wanted to buy, well, then, I mean, I guess there'd be no renters. So because um, some people do want to rent, they they would they don't want to buy. Like I know people who literally are just like, "Hey, I don't want to buy. I don't want to have the risk. I don't want to have the debt. I don't want to maintain it." Like I know a lady who we're we're selling a condo to. It's real cheap. She has never bought in her in her lifetime. She's sixty three. Never bought a single time, and uh, she's only rented. And she's just like, "Hey, I didn't I didn't want to take the debt. 
I didn't want to maintain it. So you have that whole thing. Um, you have that whole population. I, I'd be interested to see what percentage of population is is renting at a certain time. I'm sure it's a pretty damn large amount. Yeah. Yeah, I I certainly agree with that. And I think that there's larger factors at work than just greedy corporations trying to steal homes from people who want to buy them. Not steal, but who are who are buying out the market, right? Uh, I think a lot of this comes to um, modern monetary theory, popularized in large part by Stephanie Kilton um, and the massive amount of money printing that we've seen. So we're gonna we're gonna hold on to that. <laughs> we'll get into modern mon monetary theory and money printing another episode because this all goes into inflation, um, and that's gonna be a, a deep dive topic that we discuss why are prices rising like they are and really break all of that down for you guys in a more comprehensive way. Um, but just the point that I would like to impress on everyone is that it's complicated. There's a lot of factors at play here and you have two options. You can sit back and you can throw the woe is me tantrum and say, well, all of this is happening to me. Or you can take charge, take power of yourself, and decide that there is something that you can do about it. It may not be easy. It's probably not gonna be fucking easy, but <laughs> you still have that ability. And, you know, whenever you guys first got into Real estate, Jake, I know you didn't know very much about it. I know Chad Scherzel didn't know very much about it. And See, you, that man, that man still don't know much about it. He just go on. Yeah, he still doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, just, he's just faking it till he makes it. He's going to just be keep going down that path till he pulls up in the rolls. But <laughs> be, he gonna, he, we're going to have like 15, 20 million of management. You'd be like, um, you know what? Uh, <laughs> what's an appraisal waiver again? <laughs> <laughs> hey, but but the point is, you took charge of it, right? You went out and you got uncomfortable, and you're willing to be uncomfortable. And so, I would just like to impress upon everybody with all of this: it's it's really easy with constant negativity and headlines, with the just everything that's going on in the world right now, right? It's the if we really are in this fourth turning paradigm, things are going to be messy. But I would encourage you, instead of heading for the bunker in terms whenever there's a volatile situation, look for opportunity instead. Because yeah, there's yeah. a lot of opportunity when things are displaced. When things get messy, that's whenever you can create the most opportunity for yourself. It's, uh, I think this is, this might be from Art of War. I haven't read it. I have, I'm staring right at it, but I've seen, I've seen, um, the quote, it's like, where there is chaos, there's opportunity. And uh, I'm a part of the Arte Syndicate. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but one of the things that Ed Milad and Andy Frisellis, like just, they just, they just hammer into you, hammer into you, hammer into you. It's, it's when everybody else is like screaming for the hills. Oh, the sky's falling. Um, you know, we're going to crash. You know, this, this is terrible. Like everybody's losing their jobs or um, like right now, rates are going crazy, you know, um, 
What's another one? Houses are super unaffordable. Uh, nobody can find any deals. You're having to go overprice. Um, I mean, we have nine places that are severely discounted to the market right now that we'll bring to the market. And the only reason that we did that or, or have that is because we took the time to go learn how to find them and provide that value. And in turn, we are um, providing a, a better product that originally wasn't there um, and, and up, upgrading the quality of life for whoever moves into that place. Um, and then I, I, I just think like, I rarely watch the news, honestly, and I probably should more to stay more in touch. Um, I should probably just watch economic indicators, really, um, and maybe some 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 perception, get some perception of it. But um, when everybody is like going into their holes and pulling things back, it's all it's almost like you should just push forward and go even harder um, and look for more opportunity. Don't be an idiot, right? But look for more opportunity within your your industry. And uh, and attack it because the the things that they give up and if you go attack it you're gonna get so in two years when you just got your head knocked in for two years straight and everybody else was safe but you went and got up a bunch of market share you came out bloody but now you're set and they're broke yeah agreed well I think that uh, is super helpful. I hope everybody learned something from this. I know uh, we would, or I have a tendency to ramble on a bit there. So hopefully our thoughts were a bit cohesive. <laughs> it's all good. It sounds like it sounds like we need to talk about uh, modern monetary theory, uh, maybe Friday or or maybe next Monday. Uh, let's do it next Wednesday. Yeah, we'll do the we'll do the market update on Monday, and then we'll we'll do a deep dive into modern monetary theory with the effects of inflation how money printing and money supply uh, affect affordability, all those kind of things. I'd, I'd love to do a, a deep dive on that um, and try and explain things in a way that actually makes sense. It is not a bunch of economic jargon. Uh, right. I think a lot of times people get fooled into these theories because they sound really good and they sound like they're helping people. And I would pos posit that most of the times that's not the case. So Hope you guys tune in next week. Uh, we'll do a deep dive on that. Appreciate everybody listening. You got anything else, Jake? I think I'm good. I appreciate it. And I, I really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, stay tuned for more because we've got more coming in the pipeline. Bye, guys. Later. Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day. I'm working sun up till the sundown. Yeah. I'm getting it every day. These niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new.